G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story One of my earliest experiences as a teacher, I made a big mistake. There was a boy who had an accent that grated on my nerves. And just before school started, I went out into the playground to do yard duty observations. And he was complaining about losing the game. And without stopping to think, I ridiculed this boy. I can only imagine the pain that I would have caused this boy at that time. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Gary Lewis is a retired primary school teacher who's been involved in pastoral ministry and pioneered chaplaincy in Victorian schools on the Mornington Peninsula. In his life, he's had to overcome numerous obstacles. However, he's now using those valuable lessons as inspiration for the children's books he writes. Today, we'll find out how Gary is encouraging others as he shares his story. He's having a chat with Karen Hunt. Gary, welcome to the program. Thank you, Karen. Good to be here. You were an active outdoor young boy. You loved marbles, football, tadpoles, but also a tender-hearted boy and had a very creative mind. Stories have always played an important role in shaping your thinking and, and actually becoming a storyteller and a story shower, show and tell. Well, it's your turn to tell us, how was growing up in West Heidelberg, Melbourne, Australia? What was that like? Well, it was a housing commission area um, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. It wasn't one of the poorest areas. On one side of Bell Street in Melbourne was our area of growing up. On the other side, it was what they call the Olympic Village. Uh, so as a kid, we didn't really have anything to do with the kids from the Olympic Village because they were of a different class. But we got used to our neighbourhood with lots of friends and uh, we could play cricket in the street. It was wonderful. We could ride our bikes. We could play marbles up and down in the gutter. We could kick tin cans around, play um, hide-and-seek underneath the lamppost outside our house. It was a lot of fun. We had really good neighbours, but we also had some not good neighbours. Look, growing up in a housing commission area certainly has its challenges. Being one of six kids, we, we lived in a house that was joined together with another house. Um, the other neighbours didn't really look after their place, but uh, my mum and dad took a lot of pride in our house. Dad was into gardening. My sisters were into pets. It was a lot of fun growing up in West Heidelberg. Now, you said your dad was into gardening. I'm also aware that your dad was a a shift worker filling gas bottles. How did that play out with his family? That was really hard because dad, being the father of six kids, uh, we got used to dad being around at different times. Three rotational shift works, uh, night shift, afternoon shift and day shift. And so we got used to Dad sleeping during the day. We got used to Dad coming home late at night. But being the father that he was, he was fully committed to his family and fully committed to being involved in church. 
and prayer and discipling his children to grow up and love the Lord. And your mum, a home-based machinist, how did she cope with six kids in, in that context? Mum was an amazing woman. Her trade was as a machinist. She also had worked as a young woman at Meyer in Melbourne. She also went back many years later to sales work at Meyer. Mm -hmm. But mum was fully committed to providing for the family. Living in a rental situation was not easy. Mm. Living with six children sure. would have been challenging and one of those was a hearing impaired child who had special needs. So financially it was a challenge for mum, dad not having a trade and mum worked day and night making clothes but also making toiletry bags. And as a family, we all had to do our part. We had our chores to do, but we also had a role to play in making these toilet bags so that they could be uh, delivered and uh, mum could get her next project. Mm. Did she have support from other family members? Were there grandparents or aunties and uncles? Um, well, there was no grandfathers on either side. I never knew the love of a grandfather. I had two nanas, one of whom was an alcoholic, and the other one, a single lady, and she was a widow. She didn't have a place of her home particularly, so quite often uh, my mother's mother would come and stay for, I don't know, in, a, in the mind of a young boy, it could have been a week, it could have been a month. Mm. But um, even that challenged the family because uh, somebody was displaced out of their bed while Nana slept in their bed. So as far as support from extended family, no, there wasn't. Mum and Dad did an amazing job. So six kids, you were the fourth child, is that right? That's correct. Two older sisters and an older brother, two and a half years older than me. And when I was about four and a half, Mum had another son and she had contracted rubella during her pregnancy. And as a result, it was discovered sometime later that um, my new brother had been born deaf. That threw me at an early age into being displaced as after nearly five years of being the youngest. Yes. My younger brother, when he was diagnosed as being deaf, it threw our family. Um, I cannot possibly imagine how my parents would have felt when they found out. The entire focus of our family shifted from just having a new little fellow to care for yes. to how do we communicate and care for this toddler who could not hear and not speak. Yes. Um, you know, I think looking back, my mother never got over that. I don't know whether she felt guilty or she just wasn't able to forgive herself for having a child that was hearing impaired. But it certainly was a challenge. And then um, about four years later, mum had uh, another son. So here I was squished, mm. as it was, in the middle of six children and a special needs child. I was actually just thinking, in a sense, you were a middle child. How do you figure that? You were the middle one. There's a, a big gap from your older siblings to yourself and then quite a gap then to the younger ones. And I imagine, did the younger boys build a buddyship together? Were you a part of that? or Karen, I, I've come to the point of realising that there was a huge gap between my older brother and I the first three were fairly close together. I was the baby for four and a half years, and then mum has another one, and then two years later she has another one. So 
the younger two definitely did form a strong buddy relationship. And although we were a happy family, it seemed like I never really connected or bonded with any of my brothers. The four of us slept in the same room on double bunks, but never had that strong bond mm. with any of them. Is that something that you longed for at the time or you didn't really realise? No, I didn't realise that, mm. that at that age. It was only when I became a teenager and an adult that these things really start to play out in how I viewed myself. Sure. As a little boy, I remember mum saying, oh, there were lots of people when they saw you in the pram, they would look at me and say, oh, he's clever, he's bright, he's going to shine, this lad. And when you're told that as a little boy, you grow up thinking, yes, I do want to be accepted. I, I want to be accepted for who I am, not for what I do. But yes. uh, this set me out on a path of trying to please people by performing, being clever, shining as bright as I could, endeavouring to do the best that I could, but my best was never good enough for me. And I really did feel as if I was not really accepted for just being me. And uh, and this, of course, influenced my desire and attempts for sibling and peer relationships uh, and acceptance. An example of that, I love to draw. And, well, when I say draw, I can't draw out of my head. I've got a good eye for detail and I can copy well, but I never did anything original. I mean, I could set out on making the dimensions and the perspective different from the original and therefore I made it my own. And I remember one day, I, for the first time ever, I actually drew something out of my head. It was an athlete running. Now, I thought it looked okay. And so I went to one of my siblings seeking approval. Got the approval of the sketch, okay, but it didn't satisfy what I was really seeking. Mm. I was really seeking approval for myself and not for my drawing. And I remember to this day, I felt so upset with myself that I tore up that picture. Oh, did you? Beneath the weight of my empty heart and my unrealised self-esteem. Mm. So you went through your, your schooling years, primary school, your high school, uh, you worked at your local milk bar, you entered into the national service. I mean, this is all prior to your children's ministry, uh, chaplaincy. Yes. So you've been all of these things in your, your lifetime and mm. then you have this epiphany of significance when a pastor gave you a devotional entitled The Hidden Child of the Past. Was yes. this a bit of a life marker moment for you? This was definitely a life marker. As I read this series of notes, I, I actually saw myself as a child hiding in a fearful way because of something that um, I was required to do uh, it was something that confronted me enormously and these sorts of experiences built up to the point that I started to resent my parents yeah. for the way I thought, the way I felt, the way I behaved. Um, I even started to resent my parents for the way I looked because I looked so much like my father. Whilst the devotion from Selwyn Hughes was powerful, it was a turning point for me. It wasn't until about four years later that uh, in my devotionals, the Lord had taken me to Psalm 139. Uh -huh. 
And I read that psalm and I started weeping because the Lord spoke to me and he said, in all of history, there were no two people that he could entrust the life of Gary Lewis to Mm. than Bruce and Dorothy. Mm. And that broke my heart. And as I journaled my notes in the form of a prayer, when I'd finished, the Lord said, now you send that to your parents. This will be a way of healing for you. So I decided to use my calligraphy skills and I wrote out my notes and addressed them to my mum and dad. And at the same time, I decided to record my own voice so that they would actually hear the expression. And I sent that to them. It was a wonderful life marker Mm. time of healing. It set me on the path to discovering who I was in Christ in a much more meaningful way. That would have been a very brave thing to do at that time. Well done. Thank you. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with children's book author Gary Lewis, who's sharing his life journey. Gary is a retired primary school teacher and continues to mentor young people and provides them resources through his writing. Some of the main themes he focuses on are value, acceptance and belonging. We'll hear more of Gary's story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with children's author Gary Lewis, who's sharing his life journey. Before the break, Gary shared some of the challenges he faced in his childhood that have shaped some of the themes in his writing today. Next, Gary shares more of his story and what inspires him to encourage others through his books. One of my earliest experiences as a teacher, I made a big mistake which lingered in my heart and my mind for many, many, many years, 20, 30 years Um, If only I'd known then what I know now, this event would not have happened. um, There was a boy who had an accent that grated on my nerves, and he was a slightly oversized boy, a boy who was always complaining, and he always wanted to be right. And just before school started, I went out into the playground to do yard duty observations, and these group of boys were in the middle of a game, and... He was complaining about losing the game. And without stopping to think, I ridiculed this boy. I can only imagine the pain that I would have caused this boy at that time. And I've repented of that. And in my years since, the Lord has really worked on me. When I went back teaching, I was a different teacher. Mm. I really took to the kids that struggled, were on the edge and needed somebody to sit with them and listen to them and accept them for who they were. And I have to give credit to Lord for that, for his healing. But I also have to give credit to a lady from America called Marva Collins, who uh, started her own school. And just by love and example and encouragement, she got kids to do what no other teachers could ever do. I watched the story of her life on a movie one day and I was just in tears because I could see the love that this lady had for the children 
And I resolved in that moment that if and when I went back in, I would be a different person. And I praise God that all of these life experiences, when I eventually became a chaplain, uh, I was able to utilize all of that experience as well as the creativity. Yes. But more importantly, the sensitivity mm. to the needs of kids, mm. as well as to the needs of parents and teachers, because I work with them all. I'm very grateful. I look back and I say, not again, never again. Gary, these days you're an author. You're resourcing people, working with kids, working with young people in homes, churches, schools, kids in schools from primary age right through to junior high school years. And Mm -hmm. you're encouraging them in so many ways. Value, accept, belong is your encouragement. They are excellent verbs. They are doing words. And I just find that your books show and tell so much. And I realize our our kids today are being bombarded. They're being bombarded with mm-hmm. so many agendas of indoctrination, social, political. And I think you'd join me in longing for the simple lessons of life to sink in, the responsibility and integrity of words and actions and attitude based on what you've just been saying. But we grown-ups too, we also need to claim and reclaim the wholesome whatevers. You know, often teens particularly uh, will throw off this line, whatever, whatever, And I think of Philippians 4, 8, you know, whatever is actually true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things and don't get distracted off track. And your books, (laughs) your books go back to the simplicity of life. And I commend you for what you're doing. Thank you. The history of these books really is in the stories behind them because they're based on true life stories. Whilst they're written in the factional narrative genre, they are actually based on true stories out of children that I've worked with. Uh, I was encouraged by one of my daughters, Dad, you've got to put them into stories. Why don't you use pitch story books? And that got me going. So with two of the books, Jessica's Special Buttons and Jackson Uncovers Hidden Treasure, these two stories really come out of one boy's story but played out over and over again in the lives of many children. I would say that um, if a parent or a grandparent wanted to read one of the books to their grandchild, if they were a girl, I would say start with Jessica's special buttons. If it was a boy, I would say start with Jackson's book and then after a while go to the other book because they complement each other. They're companion books. In fact, their stories are almost identical as they start out. And do you know, I noticed that. I read the three that you've sent me and the particular ones you're speaking of, Jessica's Special Buttons for a Girl, Valuable Lessons Based in an Apron Pocket and Jackson Uncovering Hidden Treasure obviously geared towards a boy with granddad, valuable lessons in a fishing trip. And both of these, like you're saying, yes, both of them particularly, they're helping to model godly values. They're displaying godly values. They're unpacking what it means to comprehend these values. And just so rich. I personally just love them. They're very, very special. 
and obviously they're from true stories. Yeah, um, they're written with an attitude of grace. I often think of the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus not only tactilely draws in his hand, surrounded by these Pharisees with rocks in their hands, one by one you hear thud, thud, mm. thud, and Jesus looks up and they're all gone and he says to the woman, I'm not judging you, go in peace and sin no more. I'm not going to judge you. It's from that basis that I've also had to bring in the character of a grandparent who, by their relationship, they have the right to speak into the life of the child. So the books not only are based on grace and truth and value and honour, but they're also tactile. In each of the stories, you will find something that the child can actually hold in their hand Mm. and look at and feel and have that tactile touch their heart in the grace and the love and the unconditional love from a grandparent. I'm looking at the back of them right now and uh, both of them on the back begin the same way. Like you said, Jessica felt sad, but she didn't know why. Perhaps she could talk to her grandma. And the other one says, Jackson felt sad, but he did not know why. He needed to tell someone how he was feeling. Perhaps he could talk to his grandpa. Gary, you're a grandpa yourself right now, aren't you? How many grandies do you have? I have six. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) A new season of life. New season of life. The oldest one's just turned 15. Wow. And the youngest is just about to turn nine. So there's a fair range of years in there, but um, I love being grandpa. Actually, I'm called Gramps. (laughs) Um, Not grumpy Gramps, I hope, but... (laughs) Three of my children live in Thailand where my daughter and her husband have been there for the last 10 years working with a a non-government organisation called Zoe Australia Mm -hmm. and they're committed to child rescue and restoration with an evangelistic edge. So three in Thailand and we have three here in Melbourne. Legacy, Gary. (laughs) That's legacy. Legacy leads me to think about Olivia's jar of pickled inspiration. Yes, uh-huh. Which is the third of the books. It introduces the concept of positive self-talk mm. and mirror talk with positive pithy statements. Olivia's issues are different to Jackson's and Jessica's. And Olivia's grandmother encourages her to put away the negative thoughts and the self-destructive language about herself Mm. and trying to re-everybody else's impressions of her Mm -hmm. and to develop a plan of positive, uplifting, routine confession. Again, it's based on the true story of a girl that I work with and for this girl in particular, we saw a miraculous turnaround in her demeanour and her approach to peer relationships. And the legacy part, Karen, comes in when I realised, I found out several years later that the activity that we did with this particular girl has now been passed down to her siblings. Beautiful. And has a legacy of ongoing work. And that was the inspiration for the end of the story where there's this legacy that keeps on going. It's really, in many ways, an unfinished story. 
Beautiful. Gary, your picture storybooks now are being used by other teachers, by chaplains. They're being used yeah. by parents, by grandparents, yeah. and yeah. they're used to evoke emotions within the reader or the listener, and they're helping to build healthy self-esteem. In the back of each book, there is a link for teachers and chaplains and parents, I guess, for extra resource activities that can be done in class or in counselling sessions. There's also there for extending into Christian content, helping children discover who they are in Christ. So not just the link to find the books, but there's also links for extra resources. Gary, you're still teaching, you're still pastoring, you're still shepherding in your very own special way. God bless you as you continue to do so. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, Karen. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Gary Lewis, who's a retired primary school teacher. And as we've heard, Gary's overcome numerous obstacles in his life and continues to mentor and resource young people through his writing. To learn more about Gary's encouraging children's books, you can visit his website, value-accept-belong.com. Once again, that's value-accept-belong.com. I think it's great what Gary is doing with his books, and it's so important to teach young people to see their value and feel accepted. As the Bible says in Psalm 139 regarding our value, Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because you made me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You see, all of us are priceless treasures in God's eyes, and knowing how much he loves us makes all the difference. Well, thanks for joining us for Gary's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... Rod and I got on very well and sitting in his office chatting. Because it was hot, I had a, had an open, had a shirt on and he saw the scar that I have down the middle of my chest, which is from open heart surgery done back in the day. So he saw the scar and he said, what's that from? And I, I said, oh, it was from this heart surgery I had when I was a kid. And he, he started crying. Pete Court had no idea at the time why a spontaneous conversation with a co-worker would have such a profound impact on both of their lives. Also, he's written a short story about this conversation that has won awards. We'll hear the full story and find out what it's all about next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.